0: This, oh yeah, here we go. Well, it's great to be with you guys. Let me just get prepared here. My name is Andrew Dawson, as the screen tells you all. Um, And I know a lot of you here. And so it's a pleasure to be with you. So I'm going to get another little stand for my words. this wobbly stand and start. Um, So let me tell you a story. Um, We can go to the next slide where it'll tell us what the story's about a little bit. Um, You might recognize the place, you might recognize the people. Um, This is a picture of uh, my wife and I on on our wedding day. And um, so the story is about how I experienced some transformation in this year and a half of marriage so far. Let's start sort of from the beginning. Uh, We met May 2020 during COVID, orange julep, 10 p.m., six feet apart lines wrapped around the orange julep. It was a a bizarre beginnings, but but from the start we clicked, it was exciting. I was so excited for her to know me completely. I remember within the the first month being like, met my person, this is so good, I just want her to know me. And she did get to know me. Um, We can go to the next next slide. And some of my habits, which included letting the dishes pile up in the kitchen sink in my apartment, which is not how it looked, but, you know, it's not nice to look at uh, dirty sinks now, as I've learned. So this is what uh, I'm showing you. But think about the piles of, of, of dishes in the sink. She kept her place spotless, spick and span. It was tidy and clean. This wasn't how I did things. And I did get to know her, too, and I uh, found out that she absolutely loved miniature models um, Like this little bike with the flowers in the front and it's a curvy handlebars And it's about this 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 big and and, and she, she loved it. And I was like, okay, that's that's great I can't relate it at all um, And then we, we told each other about the deepest things of our lives, too And so we knew each other more deeply the highlights the lowlights that we had missed out on Joys fears burdens It was a special time of discovery as new relationships often have near the beginning And we got married a year after, oh wait, sorry, I I did this, it was the wrong action, we're still working on it, it's okay, we're just starting, we're going to leave me exits by the end. So I was pointing at the screen that I'm I'm looking at, but there we are. Um, And so we got married a year after, it was speedy because we knew it, Uh, we knew we wanted to be together. So we moved into our apartment and now everything had to be clean. This was new to me. Um, including the kitchen sink. And, and if I wouldn't do it, she's like, oh no, I, I'll do it, I'll do it. I'm like, okay, all right, okay. But then I'd see her doing it, and then I was noticing her face change slowly over time, and I was like, okay, um, cool. Um, but so then I realized that the only response to a dirty kitchen was to clean it um, right away. And so, but it, it felt restrictive, but I'm like, okay. And she would continue to point out the marvelous little models like this little bike. And uh, little Christmas villages, little pineapples on keychains. And I was like, "Ah, okay, I don't get it. Um, But months passed, and I was shopping for her upcoming birthday present. And then I saw, I was uh, on Instagram, you know, really spending my time well. And I saw an advertisement that showed this perfect gift. It was a miniature flowery sweets and teas shop. It was about this big and with intricately detailed interior and cute chairs and a tiny little kettle and I realized I had changed a bit. (laughs) I got excited over a miniature model. This was bizarre. Um, I began to love what she loved. And, and she would keep prioritizing the kitchen, uh, clean up, like, you know, just don't do that very important thing that you think is important. It's time to clean the sink first. And so uh, eventually I joined. And, and so then I, I would start getting up early for, I was, I'd make chai, and, and we, when we'd have that ready. And then um, and we wanted, I wanted to sit down and read and pray. And so we had that time together. But there she was, like, putting away the, dry, the, the dried pots from the previous night. I was like, come on. But then I realized she would always do that. I so was like, oh, "Okay, you know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put away the dried pots. I'm gonna I'm gonna clean that. I'm gonna empty the dishwasher." And uh, and so then and so then I did that. And then she got up and she noticed and just she her face was beaming. I was like, "All right, this is great." And it felt really great. And so then from then on in, I was I would get up and it was a new routine. And I would make the chai and then I'd empty the dishwasher. I put away the dried pots. And I'd be waiting for her to get up, and I was all excited about that. And so then I'm like, okay, this is great. And it's a bit like work. And then after, eventually, I was like, I kind of like this, too. I kind of like having a clean kitchen. Isn't this nice? But what's happening? My, My desires and my reflexes, my habits are being transformed as I begin to see the world through the eyes of the one that I love. First... Through intimacy, I, you know the miniature models, I didn't love them, then I love them. And then, then there's the clean, the clean sink. I'm like, you know what? I can do the clean sink. But it started with saying, she loves the clean sink. I can love the clean sink. And because I loved her, then I was transformed. So this was a story of intimacy and transformation. So here I am, really transformed. A pretty simple story, and obviously there are greater stories of transformation, but I think you catch my drift. So we can go to the next slide. Little definition for you because intimacy is not a word that we use on a daily basis and we have certain associations with intimacy but let's go to the basics. So intimacy is a warm and satisfying friendship. That's kind of tiny font but I'll read it to you. Intimacy is a warm and satisfying friendship developing through long association on a very personal and private level. Not clear? Let's think. So we've all had very close relationships Uh, Where we feel seen and known and loved with a spouse or with a friend, with a sister, brother or sister, with a mother or father. The people whom we feel we can tell everything, absolutely anything, and they will listen and they will love us. With whom we can talk for hours or you can be chatty through this big discussion or just silence and it's comfortable either way. Aren't these relationships the best? And sometimes these relationships transform us. And so the closer we are to someone, the more frequently we spend time with them, the more likely we are to become like them. This morning we'll talk about being transformed through deepening intimacy with Jesus and the path to get there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you that you have called us here. We thank you that indeed you are the one who called us. You are the one who initiates. You are the one who saw us in our state when we were separated from you and you sent your son. You took that initiative so that we could know you, so that we can enter into relationship with you. What love you have for us, Lord, guide our thoughts this morning. May we hear your truth. May they resound in our hearts. Give us the space and the the frame of mind, the mindset just so to reflect and hear what you have to say, Lord. Um, And draw us closer, Lord, as we draw near to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we can go to the next slide. So... The outline, the outline is, uh, so we'll start off with a story. A story, what does intimacy and transformation look like? Uh, We'll look at Moses on Mount Sinai and the people that he was with. Uh, The problem that we'll encounter is that, in fact, among Christians, there's inconsistent intimacy with God and transformation. Um, The solution I present will be spiritual disciplines as paths for intimacy with God and transformation. And... Finally, we look at Jesus uh, as our model for living as he practiced spiritual disciplines. So, go to the next slide. So, an interesting thing that, um, that we see in scripture and through experience is that we are primarily, primarily responsible for choosing how close we are with God. Our intimacy with God is not limited by God being disinterested. Um, and that God is finding it hard to spend time with us. Um, that God, yeah, doesn't love us enough. And so let's look at the intimacy between Moses and God on Mount Sinai. We can go to the next slide. So, as you can see, Mount Sinai is on the left. You might recognize it, probably not. But it's Mount Sinai, and that's in the wilderness where the Israelites were spending a considerable amount of time. Uh, There you have uh, the people of Israel who had just had this miraculous salvation from Egypt, the ten plagues, the the split sea, they'd seen all the miracles, uh, and now they're being led into the desert and uh, Moses was their leader. And so there was a couple of times where um, Moses even went on top of Mount Sinai for forty days at a time. Um, listening to God, speaking with God, and so, but there were some strict instructions that separated the people into different levels of intimacy, or here we circles of intimacy. So the outer circle... Which is actually really outside the circle, but just, I just thought of, thought of the concentric circle. It's kind of like Mount Sinai, even though it's not round. But in any case, the people of Israel could approach the hill, could, but they couldn't descend it on pain of death. That's in Exodus 19. And then there's a second circle that were, that we're in fact, called a bit closer onto the mountain, and it included the elders of Israel. Now Moses and Joshua were there too, they were ascending together, but I just put the elders of Israel, because that's where they stopped, and they didn't go up any farther, any, any closer to God. Um, so, and, and they had a very special experience. They, it says they beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. God revealed themsel- God revealed himself to them in a special way there, but okay, so but no permanent transformation. What am I saying here? We can go to the next, next slide. Oh, yeah, when, it, when you change that slide, it doesn't change my slide. Okay, so what's this little tiny corner golden calf I see? So, in fact, soon after this experience, the elders of Israel and all the people in the outer circle there, uh, the people of Israel, would worship. The golden calf. What was the golden calf? All the gold that God had given them from the Egyptians, that they carried all the way, the gift of God they got, they they melted it down and they formed a golden calf to worship. While they were, you know, and, and so then we're like, wait, why were they not allowed to go up the hill? Well, maybe, maybe this could suggest that their hearts were actually quite far from God, and they weren't interested in God. They saw the split Red Sea, but yeah, you know, God is scary, God is distant, and so they stayed down the hill and ultimately worshipped that golden calf. Uh, we can go to the next slide. But then we have... Um, so we have... Jo- so there's a third circle, so the another inner circle, and so we have Joshua there. And so who is Joshua? Joshua's the assistant of Moses, and, um, and so why would Joshua sort of get beyond to the next level? And so... In Exodus 33, we have a clue. Basically, Moses would be at the tent speaking face to face with God. That's pretty amazing. And then God's glory, would like a cloud, come down on the tent where he was meeting God. And so jo- Joshua, it says, would not depart from the tent. And so he was lingering where God was. He was prioritizing being where God was. And so he was, we could see that he was seeking after God. And that um, he wanted to be where God was. And so we have the inner circle, which really is Moses. Uh, So he's on the inside. And so let's look at Moses' relationship. Now, we don't have time to talk, talk about... The beginning of Exodus, all the way up until this moment, but Moses had seen a lot of things, had journeyed with God, was too afraid to go to like speak to Pharaoh, and, and, and with God's help, and, and God was like, "I'm choosing you, I'm choosing you." And there's the burning bush, and he'd seen God, so he'd been through a lot of things with God, and put his faith in God, and, and God had shown different things to him, and he had remembered, and so, and we see this um, through chapters. 33 and 34, that was, the, right, so the Lord would speak to, to, to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend, that's actually chapter 33, but they would speak face to face, intimate. So Moses, and we can see how he was seeking after God, we can see Moses' heart in chapter 33, where, well, he, apart from, he, he refuses, he's like, I will not go ahead if your presence does not go with us, we're not going ahead without you. But he says, teach me your ways that I may know you, show me what you're about, show me what you desire, show me how you work, show me what your heart is after. And remember, Moses didn't have necessarily scripture, um, but he had his experience with God, so he needed God to show him more of himself to Moses. And then finally after that he says, show me your glory. What's glory? Excellence on display. and so, so he has this incredible experience with God, as God shows him his heart, his character. His, and he tells him that he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, uh, abounding in steadfast love, and, and, and shows his heart, and he, he only allows Moses to see his back as he passes by or else if he saw his face, he would die. And so Moses is a transformation after beholding God's glory. Moses. So it says, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So you can picture Moses coming down the hill, completely unaware, has some information for people, people are looking at him, you know, just imagine a radiant face, like he has been in the presence of God and he is different, he is transformed. Uh, Next slide. So different circles of intimacy. Was this God's doing? Next slide. Well, if it's God's doing, then it's no fair. Um, But we can go to the next slide and and, and not be distracted by the cat. Um, In fact, it was perhaps related to the hearts of the people who were there at Mount Sinai. We can see they'd seen all the miracles, but there they were. God's scary. I can't trust God. God... Keep him at a distance, and then worshiping the calf. Versus we have Joshua who was lingering at the tent, wanting to be with God. We have have Moses seeking his ways, seeking seeking God. And so we see that greater longing um, leads to greater, uh, greater longing leads to greater seeking, and greater seeking leads to a deeper intimacy, a deeper experience of God. Next uh, slide. So, my question for you now is, what is the depth of your intimacy with God right now? And if you just remind ourselves of the definition, intimacy is a warm and satisfying friendship developing through long association on a very personal and private level. Um, sobering to think that it is our own, our own decision. Uh, that it is determined by how much we are seeking him. Next uh, slide. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. This is found in Psalm 63. Psalms, The Psalms in the Bible are this book of poetry where we see beautiful examples of intimacy with God. And we know that if it's part if it's if we believe the Bible to be true, and we see these psalms of intimacy, these songs of intimacy to God, we can trust that if, when we read, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Because it's God's word, and it says your love is better than life. It, it doesn't mean for some people, well, some lives, your love is better than your love is better than life. And what is better than life? What is better? Is that our experience? And I found it amazing thinking about intimacy with God and how, how intimacy was always God's plan because the spirit that we have inside of us, if we put our faith in Jesus, it is by that spirit, the spirit of God, that we cry, Abba, Father. Now Abba, you might know already, means Daddy. Now Daddy is sort of the language of a child, might be a big child, might be a teenager, In any case, it's a a, a term of endearment. It's a term of really, no, it is their father. It is daddy, sitting on the lap, being close, arms around. That's the the spirit that he's given to us, directing us to cry that out. Because why? Because he wants to hear that, because he's our loving father. Do we cry out to him like that? Next slide. So have you been transformed through your relationship with God? What's your intimacy like with God right now? Have you been transformed? Can you look a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and say, I'm a different person. Praise God, He's working in me. I'm, this is changing my life. Go to the next slide. Are, are we more loving? Are we less anxious people, more peaceful? Are we having more joy in the tough circumstances of our lives? Do we have increasing patience even when we've been bothered, triggered, and if we are anxious? Are we changing? Are we truly experiencing the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? Or have we, have we settled for less? You can go to the next slide, right? So the solution, I mean, the problem of inconsistent transformation and intimacy with God. So that might be the case for some and for others. Perhaps you're walking with God every day, you're filled with joy, you're changing every, every year. That's fantastic. Keep doing what you're doing. That's beautiful. Um, so, But most likely, part of your walk is actually spiritual disciplines. You just don't call it that. Um, so let's talk about spiritual disciplines. And so even before, before you think about this, some sort of strange ancient practice, Well, they are an ancient practice, but not so strange to us. If we look at the examples... On your right, prayer, reading, scripture, worship, meditation, kind of sounds like this morning. Well done, you're on your way, spiritual practices are happening. So, So spiritual disciplines are places, are spaces in which we encounter God, grow closer to Him, and we become more like Him. They are places where we can experience deepening intimacy with God, transformation and healing. So you can think about spiritual disciplines as how we hang out with Jesus. Relationships take time, and so do spiritual disciplines. Relationships take effort, and so do spiritual disciplines. If you think about your closest person, your best friend, was it like that? It wasn't like that. You worked on it. There was a time at the beginning when you weren't so sure, and then eventually you clicked, and then you grew, and then you spent time together, and through mutual self-disclosure, there you were, best friends. And then you know, no one gets the best friends' times or close relationships, looks back, and was like, that was a lot of work, actually. Really shouldn't have been best friends with this person. Hope not. Um, so, but it's important to say that Christian practices do not produce a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know God already, if you haven't encountered God, then, then just simply going through the emotions that I'm about to say or the actions, the activities, will not produce a relationship, but they are meant to bring health and depth of intimacy to the relationship you already have with God. So we saw some of those disciplines. The other disciplines you might not be aware of, simplicity, sacrificial living, silence and solitude, confession and fasting. In fact, what we maybe don't know is, some of them are familiar, some of them are not familiar, but they were practiced all through scripture, through different, it was just ubiquitous. It was everywhere in religious practice at the time. So then the author wasn't thinking, I better really tell them how to fast, you know. But they're all fasting already. So, why was he gonna, you know, so, so we don't see necessarily specific chapters and verses on fasting. We, well, we have lots of verses on fasting. We have lots of examples of how people fasted, but there's no instructional, there's no manual about how to do it. They were already doing it. So, because they were aware of it, they didn't need a little review, but we are not so aware of some of these disciplines, and so we are doing a series on them, so that's going to be great. Um, So, because because we're less familiar with them, this will help us to put them into practice in a way that it actually brings life, and brings depth of intimacy, and brings transformation, and doesn't bring some problems. Wait, problems? Well, in fact, there are some well, there are barriers. there are barriers to implementing the spiritual disciplines to, to, to actually go to the next slide. So there's barriers, um, and some of them actually just stop us from even getting started. Instant gratification. Our culture has been so used to fast food, infinite streaming services for entertainment needs, Amazon Prime. you got a need? you're bored? you're hungry? There's a quick solution. Don't try too hard. There's something out there for you. But this instant gratification in life can make people hasty with the decreased appetite for some of the sweetest things in life, such as relationships. Our culture can be put off by the good things in life that actually require patience and effort, but are so worth it. You might have a skewed perspective on the things that I've listed so far. Like, okay. The silence and solitude. Are we monks? Like what are we talking about? It's just the really spiritual people, right? Really godly people. They're already there. They already loved God. They were born that way, and so they're the, the, the saints, you know. And in fact, you would speak, find someone you think like that, think of like that. And you can tell them that. That'd be very. Don't do that. No, just but speak to those people. And if you ask them, you know, why do you do that? What's what's that? What that part of your life? They're not going to say, they'll probably tell you that in fact, in their own self and their own means, they can't do it. They can't choose, they can't just naturally love God more and grow deeper. This is their relationship. They depend on God for victory against sin, to love people as He's called them to. They need God and they love God, and, and that's what you'd hear. And so, alternative motives what's that about? Well, let me tell you, the primary requirement for seeking God through the spiritual disciplines is a longing after God, a thirst for God. If while dating Ishi, I mostly enjoyed being seen with her as we walked along the street, but I didn't really care about getting to know her, we would have been done. That would have been it. No closeness would have developed. So if we do the spiritual practices to be moral through sheer discipline we might actually become more moral-looking, more moral however, we would likely be filled with pride as we look at other people who aren't so moral-looking, actually, um, and well, but think about how we got there all on our own, that we are you know, more, more generous, we give more, whatever it might be, but it would it, be a matter of time before the cracks start to appear in that thin shell and true heart, the true heart is exposed by what we say. The next issue would be legalism. So as a teenager, uh, my goal was reading and praying before bed every night. So I'd have good weeks. And on the good weeks, I'd sleep well. And on the bad weeks, I wouldn't read one night, and I couldn't sleep. Because of the guilt, I'm not reading enough. I'm not not a good Christian. I, I don't measure up. It's heartbreaking to think about the effort and the insecurity and the worry. Am I good enough for God? I didn't read tonight, I'm not good enough for God. Somehow, reading and praying felt like good works, which is another pitfall to consider. If this is true for someone here, I want to tell you that God doesn't want you to read his story, the Bible, his story of love for you like you're part of a reading club, a book club. He wants your heart. Take a moment and remember that your name is engraved in the palm of his hand. When you sit down to read, God doesn't look at you and say, finally, he's back. He looks at you and he sees his beloved child. There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. Nothing. Ephesians 2 and 8, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's a hymn that I've heard quoted, that I just love this verse of it. Lay your deadly doing down, the things that you do to be saved and accepted. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously, complete. That last song we sang. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was was bought with the precious blood of Christ. There's nothing more for you to do for him to love you now other than trust in Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Go to the next slide. to thank the organization that happened this morning that gave me way more time than the usual amount of time. I won't take... we'll see how we do, but I appreciate it, appreciate it. So we are all creatures of habit. Habits aren't bad things, they can become bad things, but we do all the same things every day. We go to the bathroom, we we'll brush our teeth, we do it in a certain certain way, we go make breakfast, we have the same thing, maybe not, but then we go to work or, or school, and, and it makes it easier to take all these things that we do every day and just do the same thing every day. And not everyone perhaps is like that, but it just certainly offloads the brain a bit. And we kind of drift into habits. Habits of doing, habits of thinking, but what are our habits? Habits reveal our priorities. They reveal the, our heart. What do you try to do at the end or end up doing at the end of every single day? Um, do, what do you sacrifice to be able to get those things done? These are your priorities. What are you seeking down deep when you do them? The average North American checks their phone how many times per day? 96 times. How long do they spend on their phone a day? five and a half hours. I spend three to four. But, um, but it's a long time. It's a long time. And, and, and I'm thankful for technology because I get to video chat with my, with my mother and father-in-law in Mauritius who are watching this morning. Hello, friends. Um, and so it's a great thing, technology. But how are we using it? Hours at a time? We're not video chatting for five and a half hours. It would be great. But it's it's so we're thankful for technology, but remember, social media, TikTok, TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, they're designed, the algorithm, how they present things to you, they're designed with the same, the same way that casinos are designed, to keep you engaged. If you are engaged, they get more money, and you spend longer there, and they see what you like pause on, and they give you more of that, and then, they just, and then all of a sudden, 25 minutes is gone, and you're like, I just want to check my email. And, then, and, that's, and that's sometimes how an evening goes. But if people are spending five and a half hours a day on their phones, are they being shaped by that, by what they see? On Instagram, with these perfectly curated lives, and how your life is not as good, and and influencers and their opinions, and and you know, they can be oh, fine, you know, the recipes, it's good. And there's some good things out there. It's fine, you know, the cue, you know, that that viral. I'm sorry, that that cat picture was viral at some stage, um, and so there's. But but how long do we spend on these things? And our, our, do our habits reveal that our hearts are fixated on hobbies, on self-image, on entertainment, on distraction? You know, the habits can shape us literally through exercise, but they, but they do shape our hearts, and so we have to be conscious of them. And we need to identify escapist practices that will never give us peace or love or, or joy, but they'll keep us distracted They'll keep us distracted from what hurts. They'll keep us distracted from feeling lonely or anxious or purposeless. And we need to be aware of them and replace them with better things. Habits can actually, though, lead to deeper relationship. Um, and so I know, so Ishi and I, we try to read and pray every morning, and, and praying for each other every morning speaks of our hearts and what we're anxious about. And we connect that way every morning. We have, Try to make Friday night date night. Try to do, you know, every three months, try to get, you know, get away for a weekend. And these things are not, we don't, you know, if we don't do them, it doesn't mean, oh, well, I guess we don't love each other. But it's like, I know, I, I love you, but I think in and of ourselves, and the way that we're just going to flow downstream, it's not going to be, as auto, you know, if we make this a structure, we're choosing to invest, we're choosing these habits which keep our, the coals warm, we keep um, the, our love deep and our intimacy close. So habits shape our days, days make up our years, and so goes our lives. So let us choose habits that will deepen our relationship with God. Let us choose habits that will transform us forever. Let's go to the next slide. So Paul said that Jesus' love compelled him. Compelled him to do what? Live his life for Jesus. So he knew of the love of Christ. He he knew Jesus from a a particular encounter with him on the road to Damascus. He was transformed. If you want to look at transformation, look at the life of Paul. So the new Amplified Bible translation of Philippians 3.10 conveys the heartbeat of the spiritual disciplines really well. For my determined purpose is that I may know Him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of His person more strongly and clearly and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from His resurrection which it exerts over believers, it's you and me, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. That is the heart, the heart or the heartbeat of the spiritual disciplines. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus may not come as a surprise to you, but for those who, for whom it's new, Jesus really is our model for living. We're called to be imitators of Christ. It says in 1 John 2.6, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You like, Jesus lived the perfect life! And then it can be stressful. Um, but actually, let's talk about that. Part of his life, how he lived, was that he practiced the spiritual disciplines. And we'll see that. But wait, isn't he God? Isn't this not really a fair comparison? Well, mm -mm, it's a theological interesting point. Another time. But, in fact, let's go to Philippians 2 for a second, where we see that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. He was fully human. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, his essence was deity from all eternity past, second member of the Trinity, fully God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, to be grasped, to be kept. But he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So how does that work? It's a mystery that's probably beyond us in a lot of ways. But he was fully God and he was fully human and this is what we are learning from this text. And so let's explore what it meant for Jesus to become human. Fully God, also choosing to be human, we see throughout the Gospels Jesus depending on God, depending on His Father. Jesus chose to live under the will of the Father. John 5.19 says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. It's a little surprising. Uh, but he's choosing that, right? He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And Jesus chose to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. What? He didn't... Let's talk. Let's walk through that. Jesus did not start his ministry until after his baptism, when the dove came down, and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. Uh, and he didn't perform any miracles beforehand, didn't do any teaching beforehand. And then what, what do we see afterwards in Luke 4.1? Jesus... full of the Holy Holy Spirit, left the Jordan was led led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Luke 4.14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. Luke 10.21, I love this verse because every time it surprises me. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Also something I hadn't seen before, Acts 2 and 2, Jesus gave instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jesus demonstrated dependence while on earth on the Father and on the Holy Spirit within him. He chose dependence. We have been given the same Holy Spirit. We are called to live like him. We are called to dependence on God for all that we do, just like Jesus did. If Jesus... I'll get to that afterwards. Okay. My ce- this is from a great book that was hard to read My cent- by Dallas Willard. My central claim is that we can become like Christ by doing one thing, by following him in the overall, st- overall style of life he chose for himself. If we have faith in Him, we must believe that He knew how to live. We can, through faith and grace, become like Christ by practicing the types of activities He engaged in, in order to remain constantly at home in the fellowship of His Father. So what activities did Jesus practice? Things as solitude, silence, prayer, simple and sacrificial living, Intense study and meditation upon God's word and God's ways and service to others. Next. We see when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, he was alone. He was practicing solitude. He was most likely silent, um, but he certainly didn't have anyone to speak to, but he, he was fasting for 40 days, we know, and he had, when the devil was testing him, what did he respond with? I'm the second member of the second member of the Trinity, and you go away now. He quoted scripture, which he had memorized as he had studied the scriptures during his life. And so scripture memorization came to the forefront and was his defense against temptation. I always thought of him as so, you know, oh, he's in the, he's in the desert, he's so weak. Um, but the truth is that he was weak in his human flesh. He was strong in the spirit, because it says that as he comes out of the spirit, as he comes out of the wilderness, he goes into Galilee, full of in in the power of the Holy Spirit. He comes out in strength because he's depending on God. And then another one that I love, which um, uh, yeah, Jesus gets up early to pray while it was still dark, very 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 early in the morning, in Mark one after a really late night of healing people. He was up late. I should get to sleep. I should have a long sleep and really be rested in the morning, have a big day ahead, really sleep in. Jesus got up early while it was still dark. Why? Because Jesus needed to spend time with his Father before the big day. Where was his power? Where is his strength? It was in God. And the next one. Time has flown. So Jesus, as our model, so you might, might be thinking to yourselves, uh, this is really intense and I'm actually already exhausted um, with my job and uh, my kids and, uh, or my exams. And I'm, I'm really busy and you don't know my schedule. And this sounds really exhausting, but to summarize this slide, Jesus is saying that doing these things will actually give you the rest you really need, the soulful rest. Um, To summarize that, there is a work that exhausts us, and it's often the work of having to prove ourselves, that we don't really realize it, but it was like me reading my Bible religiously and trying to be good enough. And resting in the fact that we just believe in Jesus, believe his words, believe that he knew how to live, trust him and follow him, we can then rest, Uh, he gives us his rest. And there are things to learn along the way, but he says to follow him. He's a gentle and humble teacher. And, like I was saying, so following the way that Jesus lived includes, in part, the spiritual disciplines that he practiced, and through these he gives us rest. Let's wrap up with a few thoughts. So Mount Sinai, here we are back again, circles of intimacy, a thought of, okay, where are we today, and why are we here in terms of intimacy with God? Where are we? What stopped us? We think about Moses, we think about how he sought after God. He said, show me your ways. He said, show me your glory. He wanted to see God for himself. He wasn't going to God for a better career, for a spouse. He wasn't going to God to get through this bad time. He was going to God for God, and God showed him more of himself. And he, and he came down from the hill, and, and in fact, he, he, people were looking at him strange, and, and he put a veil over his face, and so they couldn't see God's glory reflected in his face. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about how whenever people read the Old Testament and they don't see Jesus, it's like they're reading with a veil over their face, so they can't see the glory of God. And we go to the next slide, 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect, behold, in the ESV, the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image, whose image? Jesus' image, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we behold Jesus, and how we behold Him? Back one slide. As we behold Him, spiritual practices are a way of beholding Jesus. As we slow down, as we simplify, as we sit before Him in silence and in solitude, as we seek Him, we are focusing on Jesus, we are focusing on Jesus who is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. He is God incarnate. He reflects God's glory, and then it hits us. And we walk away from those times over time, not with radiant faces, but with glowing hearts, with deeper intimacy with Him, and transformed as we spend time with Him. With unveiled faces. Well, Moses didn't have Scripture, but we have Bible. We have the Bible, we have his letter of love to us, we have his description of his son, the way that Jesus lived, and he speaks through us, through his word. Now, we can go to the next slide. I won't read this again for you, but Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified Message, um, that we may know him, be more intimately acquainted, and ultimately be transformed. You can go to the next slide. To reiterate, the goal of every spiritual discipline is intimacy. Some spiritual disciplines are best done daily. Prayer, scripture reading, worship, silence, it's going to be done daily. If you're tithing daily, it's really not necessary. It's a bit impractical, actually. Fasting daily, be careful. You have health problems, let's talk about it. But there are some things which, on a daily basis... Maybe not five and a half hours, which some people are really ably doing on the phone, but things that we do every day shape us every day. Things that we do once a month shape us once a month, more or less. But as you can see, the more that we spend time with Jesus, the more that we are shaped by him. A longing for God is prerequisite. A thirst for God, prerequisite to go into the spiritual disciplines, or else we go into traps of of moralism and legalism but we know that we've done it correctly if ultimately we come away and say, I have a greater longing for God. I want to spend more time with God. I love Him more. And, if, of course, if we are transformed. And so, what if you're saying, I don't have a longing for God? Okay, it's good to be honest right there. Um, and that's very possibly the case. And if you've never, if you've never felt a longing for God, it could be that you've never known him. It could be that you've never experienced God. It could be that you've usually reached out for him when you want something, when you want something else. So I would say that to, to reach out to him in prayer, asking him to reveal yourself, himself to you, and get to know him through His word. get to know Jesus, read the Gospel of John, Mark, John or Mark. God won't force you into relationship. What if you have a diminished longing? The, the, the flame burned bright, and now... But, uh, well, yeah, I yeah, a little longing for God. Well, first of all, praise God that you have a longing, because it means that you've experienced God, and, and is there. And take that small longing, and take a two-minute moment in the beginning of the day, and spend some time with Him, and pray. Engage in relationship. Start small. And also, it's important, if you have a diminished longing for God, Think about your life, life in terms of your sins. Is, is, there, is there something that you're doing consistently that is saying, my way and not your way, God. I'm going, I choose power over you, God. I choose affirmation over you, God. I choose that the world tells me that I'm special in terms of, instead of coming to you to hear who I am and who you are. So is there sin in our lives that is diminishing, that is grieving the Holy Spirit, so the Spirit is perhaps not working as much in our life for transformation, for showing us more of who God is. And no time, I feel like you could pull the audience here and say, who, who's got a lot of time? Who's got tons of time in their week? And probably people are saying, no, not, not, not me. Uh, no time. But think about the habits. Think about how you spend your time. Think about whether those things bring you joy. Think about why you do those things. And maybe there could be things that you, could, that you can replace. Um, which is sort of next week's topic, so leave that at, the, at, at that. Um, and the last thing before we close is that uh, the, the, the title of the book that has greatly shaped this, this uh, series is called so you, want to, so you Want to Be Like Christ by Charles Swindoll. So if you want to read along during the series, um, that would be one that could be useful. All right, so let's just pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that your word is true. We thank you that your living word, Lord Jesus, you have come and shown us your heart. That we look at you and we see the Father. That we look at you and we see um, both the one before whom the mountains melt like wax, but within whom on the cross your heart melted like wax. We see the one who has died for us. And calls us from the life that he has given to us to live for him. We want to live for him. We want to live with you, Lord. We want to walk with you. Show us your ways. Show us your glory. Um, And fill us with uh, your spirit that we would cry out to you, Abba, Father. And that we would know that your love is better than life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Those with kids can